0: The Old Testament scripture reading for this morning, as well as the sermon text, comes from Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether male or man or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today, in the month of Abib, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your forefathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, You are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day tell your son, I do this, because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time, year after year. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, and gives it to you as he promised an, on oath to you and your forefathers. You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Thus ends the Old Testament reading this morning. Let us go now to our God in prayer, asking his blessing upon the preaching of his word. Our Lord, we come before you knowing that we are but ashes and dust. We are nothing without you who breathe life into us. Indeed, giving us a spirit of new life through the power of the Holy Spirit that would help us to see and understand the glories of the gospel. We pray, Lord, that as we are gathered, that you would continue to poke and prod us through the Holy Spirit, encouraging us by your word and indeed causing us to see our need of you, our ever dependence upon you in all these, in all things. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, a number of years ago, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book that is truly, I'm finding, worth your time if you ever get the chance to read it, called The Screwtape Letters. Uh, and in this book, C.S. Lewis sort of eavesdrops in on the discussion of the devils and demons of this world. He sort of pulls the curtain back on the powers of darkness that are yet unseen to us. And Lewis does this by focusing in on a conversation written through letters between Wormwood, who is actively working as a tempter in this world, and his uncle's screw tape. Who is guiding Wormwood's efforts of temptation and destruction? One of the things that becomes clear that these letters really sharpen for us and set up in a sharp contrast, what you will discover or, or get a sense of as you read through them all is that all men belong to someone. And the very first letter, screw tape begins talking about a man who had, was becoming. Uh, a slowly conscience of spiritual realities and that there were uh, uh, these things that he had to consider. And so Screwtape distracted him by whispering about how this man really needed to go take lunch, that these things were very important matters and that they really needed to wait until you could sit down and think about them longer. And before the man knew what was happening, he had been completely sidetracked from what was most important. And Screwtape says this about the man. This man is now safe in our Father's house because his soul was always owned by someone or belonged in someone's house. And as Lewis delves into the world of the unseen spiritual realities around us, he can't help but show us that truth over and over again. That no matter how hard... We try to escape the realm of the spiritual no matter how much we desire to be our own men who build our own kingdoms in this world. The bottom line is that we are not our own. That there is no such thing as our own kingdom. We belong to someone or are enslaved to someone. And the question of the text of Exodus 13 that will draw out for us this morning is who is it that you belong to? Maybe more precisely, since we are gathered as the people of God, what does it mean for us to belong to the Heavenly Father who has redeemed you? What does it mean to belong to him who owns you, as one who has redeemed you? What is God's redemption all about? Our text opens up this morning and the first thing we see is that redemption is about belonging to God entirely. Redemption is about belonging to God entirely. And as we come to Exodus chapter 13, we come to what seems like a strange text, or at least it begins to move away from the narrative style that's been going on through the early chapters of Genesis into these laws and commandments of how you will do this when you enter the land and how you will do that. And it seems strange to our ears when we first hear maybe about this consecration of the firstborn of Israel. I mean, what does it mean when God says consecrate to me, all the firstborn among the people of Israel, whether they be man or beast, they are mine. And Then we will spend 16 verses talking about this consecration. What in the world is going on? What is it that God is calling for and commanding his people to do? I mean, what, why uh, this command and why this focus on consecrating the firstborn? Well, to consecrate something is to set it apart. You know, the priests of the Old Testament uh, would do this as they uh, consecrated the vessels that would be used for holy service. They are setting apart certain things for his service and his servant service alone. They would even uh, uh, cleanse themselves. The priests would cleanse themselves in ritual washings before they would make sacrifices as a way of setting themselves apart for the work and service of God in his temple to consecrate themselves, to sanctify themselves. And it's a similar idea here. To consecrate something is to set it apart, to sanctify it. So when God says, consecrate the firstborn of Israel, man and beast, God is saying, set apart the firstborn, for they are mine. Set them apart to me. Well, what does that mean exactly? Exactly people of God? What does it mean that the firstborn will basically be uh, uh, a set up? Does it mean that, that they will be set apart? Does it mean that they will all be Christians the firstborn son uh, will always believe that God calls these ones to himself out of the house of Israel, but he's indifferent about the rest of the families? What's the point here? Why are these ones in particular set apart to him and not the whole of the family? Well, notice, notice what happens next in verse 3. Moses says to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out from the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Notice God gives this command to Israel, saying, I want you to set aside the firstborn. For me, man and beast, the firstborn is mine and belongs to me. And then Moses goes on and says to the people of God, remember, by the way, that the Lord bought, brought you out from the house of bondage and that he did it with a strong hand. In other words, remember what God has done, that God has redeemed you. Remember that you have been brought Uh, bought for a price, remember that your God saw you crying out in slavery and misery, serving a master who was brutal and hated you, who only had your destruction in mind. And God reached down his hand and he struck down the firstborn of Egypt and he drew you out of that land, out of that bondage with a mighty hand so that you might worship him and him alone so that you would know that you belong to him. He is your father, and you are his son. Remember what God has done for you, that you belong to your heavenly father. And he speaks this way over all the people of Israel. Even, uh, you know, we see this later on. Hosea 11, 1 says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my, speaking of the whole people of God, out of Egypt, I called my son, This entire people, in other words, the whole people of God belong to their heavenly Father who has sought them, who has bought them, who has pitied them when they were enemies, who purchased them for a price, even for the uh, price of the shed blood of the Lamb of God, demonstrated and pictured in the Lamb's blood on the doorposts. So because God has done so much for the people of God, because God has drawn them to himself so that they may worship him, he calls them to sanctify their firstborn sons, to set them apart to him. How does this work out? What, what, what's going on here? You see, people of God, every part of the people of God belongs to him. He called out his son, speaking of the whole people of God from Egypt. Every part of the people of God belongs to him now. And according to Hosea 11, every part of the people of God is called God's son. So everyone who was the people of God belongs to him. They are his son. So God is claiming in this action his right over Israel's offspring, something that we'll come back to because they have been purchased for a price. And so because you belong to your heavenly Father, set apart your sons to me. Now what does that mean? Again, this is the question we kind of keep driving at here. I mean, how should we really understand this? All of you belong to me, but set your sons apart to me. What is the picture that we are supposed to see and understand? Well, the son in the ancient Near East, and even to some extent today, the first Son signifies the center of the family and the future of the family. The firstborn son has special responsibilities and privileges. Even the right of inheritance is his. All that was his father's before him will belong to him. He will safeguard the name. He will safeguard the household and the family. And so God asks that this son, who is the center of the family unit, at that time be set apart to him. Why? Because the firstborn represents the best. And so he is to belong to God. It's like offering God a tithe. But God asks us to give of our gifts to him, our tithes, our offerings to him. He asks not for our leftovers, not for whatever is left at the end of the month or uh, by the time you come to Sunday, but for the first part. I mean, that's the principle of tithing. As soon as you receive something from the hand of God, you take a portion right off of the top and give it to Him. Why? Because it all belongs to Him, and this is our way of articulating it. It all belongs to Him, and it is His good pleasure to give you anything at all, and so to return a portion to Him, knowing full well that it all belongs to Him, is how we give our tithes. It's the same idea here. God calls for the setting apart of the firstborn son because this son is a tithe in some sense. Clearly, based on Hosea, and what we just saw happen when Israel was brought out of the land of Egypt, all of Israel belongs to him. Just as all of our funds, all of our resources belong to him, but consecrating the firstborn son is a way of saying, The whole family belongs to God. The part represents the whole. This one represents the whole of the family. What is true of this firstborn son who is the best or who is the center of the family is true of the whole family because we are willing to give him. and Therefore, we all belong to him. And Israel is called to remember this truth. And as the firstborn son parts the womb, so they have been parted from the old life of Egypt into newness of life. And this is true for all the people of God. Because a strong hand has brought you up from Egypt. For times, four times, we hear that language as to why they would do this. We are reminded of God's strong hand of salvation to deliverance. Verse 3, by a strong hand the Lord brought you from this place. Verse 9, for with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Verse 14, when your son asks you, what does this mean? You will tell him by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Verse 16, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And it is repeated so many times that God has brought Israel out of Egypt with a strong hand because God wants us to see that the redemption or re, or wants us to remember the redemption that is His. The redemption that is His. Again and again, we hear how God is the one who saves His people. How God is the one who delivered them when He struck the firstborn down of the enemies of God. How God loved His children enough to redeem them. God wants us to remember our salvation belongs to Him. All life long. And even after the children take hold of the same promises, we are to remember what God has done for us. They are to be as frontlets between the eyes and bounds uh, upon our hands. In other words, what is being said here is not that we should wear things on our eyes or on our wrists, but God's redemption, his mighty acts of salvation ought to mark everything that we think and everything that we do with our hands, everything that belongs to the mind or to the hand, everything is marked by God's redemption of his son, Israel. Even the animals who will serve the people of God will be marked by this redemption, just as your sons are marked by this redemption. Notice verse 13 tells us the firstborn male animals are the Lord's. Now if the sheep, if it uh, this is a sheep or an oxen or a goat that has no blemishes, that is born uh, uh, first, they are immediately to be sacrificed to the Lord. Numbers 18, 17 tells us that these kinds of uh, animals would be offered as a sacrifice upon the altar of the Lord. That is how they would be made His. That is how they are set apart as His. But then it makes an exception here in our text to two things. For the donkey... And for the sons of Israel, and there is a parallel there, Um, donkeys were very useful animals in Israel and in uh, the ancient world. Uh, They would help in the fields. Uh, They would help in the grinding of grain or giving tired feet a rest or carry a load uh, back, uh, back from the mill. It was a farming animal that was very helpful to the life of God's people. And God knows this, but the problem is that it is considered an unclean animal. And so God says, look, if a donkey is born and you want to keep this unclean animal for the labors in your field, it can't remain unclean. It cannot be seen as unclean even though it is the firstborn. You can't sacrifice it to me because it is an unclean animal. You have to redeem it. You have to purchase it for a price, specifically the price of the blood of a lamb. And that sacrifice will make him clean and acceptable to me and to your labors, but you cannot offer a sacrifice for him. If you cannot, I mean, excuse me, if you cannot offer a sacrifice for him, if you don't uh, have a lamb available or you cannot uh, uh, afford one, then break his neck because he is unclean and fit for nothing. Is an unclean one, but to be fit or discarded and cast away. It's interesting God says this about donkeys, that they are unclean and that they must be redeemed in order to be used even by the people of God. And it is the exact same way that we see the firstborn are to be redeemed as well. These children aren't to be offered as a sacrifice upon the altar like a sheep would be. That would be heinous in the eyes of God. That's not the way God wants his sons to be offered to him. He doesn't desire a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice, as Romans 12 tells us. But he can't just accept these infant sons either, because like the donkey, the son is unclean and fit to be discarded. And so God says, sacrifice a lamb for your son in order to redeem him. And Just like the donkey, when you make a sacrifice in its place, it will be set aside to me. It will be made holy and sanctified And clean. And the sons of Israel are set apart to God right from the womb and made holy to him through this sacrifice. And I know to some of you that may seem strange. How can a child be made holy who hasn't been given any chance to prove that he is a child of God? How can it possibly be that God would work this way with the people of God? And it brings us right back to how this text began. Everything that is yours belongs to him, including the children. Everything that is yours belongs to him, including the children. I do realize that for many of you, this part of the text may seem like it doesn't apply to you because your children are grown They're out of the house making their own decisions now. But the principle is here in this text is how we give God everything when we are His. And that applies to all of us. But notice how it shows itself here in chapters 13, in chapter 13, verses seven and eight. In verse seven, God says, when you are in the land of promise, you will keep no unleavened bread within the boundaries of the land. So God is already Talking to a future generation here. He is speaking right now as these words are written to a generation that will go into the wilderness and they will not walk out of it. They will wander about for 40 years and they will pass away, not entering into the land of Canaan immediately because of their disobedience and sin and the hardness of heart. In fact, the scripture tells us that all of that generation will pass away except for Joshua and Caleb, who by faith trusted in God at his word about being able to enter into the promised land. And the only ones who will then enter into Canaan are the children. So who is it that God is talking about when he instructs Israel about the future, about how they are supposed to understand this redemption of God, this being brought out of slavery? He's instructing the children, the first generation, saying, when you finally enter into that good land and you continue doing these rituals... And you will explain these things to your children, that they will hear all that God has done for you, that you, when you were a mere child, when you were brought out of Egypt, when you were yet too young to understand what God was doing for you, yet you will tell these things to your son. We do this because of what the Lord has done for me. When I was a child, when I didn't know what was happening, that God was redeeming a people, and that I was a part of this great redemption, that I only learned about when I got older and embraced these covenant promises that were for me as well. For some of you, that may seem like a stretch. But notice what the text does next with the children. The text goes on and it actually gets even stronger in its language and how God speaks over our children. And who he said, or who He sees them as when it tells us in verse 14, when the children of this first generation, are grown and living in the land that God has promised to them. And their sons, so you're talking second generation now, who have never stepped foot in Egypt, and their sons say, hey dad, why are we doing this? Why do you have to slaughter a lamb to redeem the donkey like you did for me when I was first born? And you will tell them by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the hand of slavery. Don't miss that language here. It is huge for this particular text. The Lord brought us out of Egypt. So here you are, a child of this first generation, who was most likely too young to remember what God was doing in Egypt exactly because it was your parents who were being brought out of Egypt, saying now to your own son, who has never once set foot in the land of Egypt, saying the Lord brought us, you and me, out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He redeemed us. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn of Egypt. And either God is telling the children to recite a lie because they weren't really there in Egypt at that moment, or God is teaching us how we view our children and the children of the church that we are to see them as the redeemed of the Lord. So much so that we can say things like God delivered us, you and me. When you ask me who I am and what we believe, He did this for you and I, son. Or we can say things like this Christ died for us, my son. For He died for the ungodly. Notice. These children, they didn't have a moment when they were personally delivered from Egypt, nor did their parents for that matter. And yet here they are being catechized to say, the Lord delivered both of us from Egypt. Because when the Lord delivered our forefather, he delivered the whole family. And you are a part of it by virtue of being part of this family. We think of redemption today often in terms of personal words. What he has done for me. But more often than not, God thinks of redemption as a family affair. Just like what we read in 1 Corinthians 7 this morning when Paul says basically, how should we view the children of a man who is an unbeliever but his wife believes? Or vice versa. And Paul says, well, of course, the children are holy. They are set apart to God. They are sanctified to him the same way you people of God are set apart to him. So too is your child. He belongs not to you. He belongs not to the devil, but to God. For the promises are to you and to your children after you and to those who are afar off, namely the Gentiles. And that is exactly what we see unfolding here. Why? I mean, what is the purpose of this? Is it so that each and every child of the church is saved beyond any shadow of a doubt? I mean, is that what Israel is supposed to believe here? Is that what they're supposed to understand in this consecration of the firstborn? By no means. It means, I mean, Ishmael was a son of the church as much as Isaac was, both receiving the sign of circumcision, and yet God chose one and not the other. The same was true for Jacob and Esau. For Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. The point here, though, the point that this consecration of the firstborn points to And how they instruct the children of the covenant is that they all belong to God himself. First and foremost, their whole life belongs to me. I mean, that is the life of the church, isn't it? Our whole life is not our own. We belong to someone else. For I am not my own, but have been bought with a price. I belong to him means that I am Belong to Him. I mean, is that not what we are taught in Romans 12, 1 that calls us to be living sacrifices, to lay down our lives, all of it, before Him? And God says that all that we have, all that we are, is to be laid down before Him. Everything is Him. All the idols that we hold dear, all the secret sins we treasure, our whole selves belong to Him. And what does our whole selves include? includes our marriages. It includes our children. Because our children really don't belong to you at all. They never did. They belong to God. One commentator says this, Christian parents learn this same lesson by presenting their children for baptism. As they hand their offspring into the arms of the church, they acknowledge their complete dependence on God's grace for their children's salvation. And when they receive them back... It's not because they own them, but because they have been entrusted with them to the glory of God. This is the idea of the faithful servant, the one who is given talents and told to go and use them to the glory of God. You are entrusted these things. They never belong to you in the first place. And that is true of the children as well. You see, the point is not that the, uh, the point is that children do not exist for our benefit. We are given them or uh, to give them over to God because they are his to begin with. You know, it's like what C.S. Lewis was getting at. We all belong to someone. So how do we view the children of the church? Why is it that we encourage them to sit in the pews on Sunday morning and worship right along with us? Because they belong to him. And we give him our children because the redemption of the gospel is for them too and for all those who believe and grasp hold of these things. People of God, we all belong to someone. And if we belong to God because God purchased us back, making us clean through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world and everything we are and have, including our marriages, our children, everything about us, Belongs to him. We cannot hold anything back from him. It is all his. And we are all called to serve him. Even as verse 5 says. Being slaves to him. In much the same way that we once were slaves to our sin and bound to it. People of God, may we serve him. With all that we have. May we give him every part of who we are. Including our children. Because of what he has done for us in Christ's death and resurrection, namely redeeming us from our sins, drawing us into the presence of our Heavenly Father, and naming us His Son. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, we come before you. Oh God, we are so thankful for the redemption that is given through Christ Jesus, and we name him our Redeemer. For surely our Redeemer lives, and he pleads and intercedes on our behalf. Father, we are so thankful for the work that you have begun in us, for drawing us into the fold, calling us sons of God. Father, we pray you would work within our hearts, that you would cause us to not hold things back, to not hold on to uh, uh, the sins that we so uh, are so easily entangle us, sins that we love and secretly hold deep within us. Father, we pray that you would help us to give these things over to you, to will them into your, that uh, you would work in us and take us in our whole being. We pray for our families, for our marriages, for every part that is connected to us. We pray that they would be yours and that you would uh, cause our children to hold fast the things that they have been taught from day one and that they indeed truly would never depart from the faith that is ours. For you have brought us out of Egypt. Our Father, we thank you for all that you have done are continuing to do in your church. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you, Eric.